know uh, that team would covet your prayers uh, as they are down uh, as they're down there. In fact, on your way out this morning, there's a there's a yellow uh, at the connection center. Some yellow cards can uh, give you specific things to pray for uh, for that team on there as they're gone this week. If you are interested. All right, man, that was a fun morning already. Let's pray. Then we're going to jump in. Father, thank you for your word, and I thank you that it is new every morning. And I pray this morning as we look at your, uh, your word that it would speak to us fresh, it would speak to us anew, it would challenge us in ways we've never been challenged before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. If you have your Bible, Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be. If you don't, you can look on with somebody or it'll be on the screen here in just a few minutes. Uh, we have been working our way through... Uh, uh, our vision statement, our mission statement, the reason that we exist as a church. Um, there's, there's something specific that God has told or has given us uh, as a church, something unique. And uh, we've been praying, uh, fasting, and working our way through this statement the last couple months uh, in an effort to um, figure out or, or discern where uh, we're headed into the future. And next week we're going to talk about that. So you want to be here next week for that? We'll, we, uh, God has answered that prayer. And so uh, you want to be here next week? We'll explain it and then we'll talk about it a little bit more in the weeks to come. But um, that's, that's, that's coming up. But that's what we've been doing the last few weeks. And so we've been working our way through this statement. Wellspring Church exists to make disciples of all nations through gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered service, gospel-centered community. And uh, uh, we've been looking at specific words in that, in that statement. What does it mean to be a local church? What does it mean to, be God, or, uh, to make disciples of all nations? Why would a church, uh, a local church in Webb City, Missouri, of about 300 people, uh, long to, to make disciples of all nations? Why not just worry about here? We looked, we looked at that. And then we saw what it meant to be gospel-centered in your worship, gospel-centered in your service. And this morning we're going to look at gospel-centered in Community, Because God has made us unique as a local body, as a local church. Now, when we look at community in the scriptures, many times it is missed on us. Here's what I mean. When we read the scriptures, we read it from an individualistic angle. I mean, we are Americans. We love our individualism. And so we read it um, loving our individualism. Not only that, compounding the problem, um, in the English language, we don't have a, a second person plural pronoun. Unless you're like me and y'all is a legitimate word. <laughs> Otherwise, it, it's, we don't have a second person um, plural pronoun. And so, many times when the Bible teaches community, it's missed on us. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. And when we read it, we think that's what God wants me to do. But actually what he's saying is, I want y'all to do this. I want y'all to do this. I want y'all to do this. He wants us to be a part of a community that does the things that he commands. In fact, he is, in, in, in his teaching, he is saying, this cannot happen unless you are plugged into a gospel-centered community. You cannot accomplish it by yourself. It won't happen. And so, over and over and over again in the scriptures, Jesus is telling us, and the text is telling us, 
that we are to be a part of. We are to be plugged into. We are to be about gospel-centered relationships. Gospel-centered relationships. And the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 12, tells the church in Rome that that exact thing. That they are to be a part of relationships that are centered on the gospel. They're to be building relationships that are centered on the gospel with other believers. And so in Romans chapter 12, Paul gets to that exact point. And this morning, I want to work our way through these verses to challenge us to do just that. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, it says this. As we look at gospel-centered community. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Now, there's two ways to interpret this this, uh, phrase uh, from the original language. You can take it the positive angle, which is let love be genuine. But there's also a negative way to interpret this or to translate this. And it could say this. Let love be without hypocrisy. Now, this should be easy for believers. This should be easy for a Christian community. Here's what I mean. The basis of our relationship, the basis of our community, the basis of our our coming together this morning in this setting is this. That you and I are in desperate need of a Savior. That you and I are, are, are sinners. That you and I cannot get to God on our own. We, every single one of us, are sinners. We are liars. We are cheaters. We are blasphemers. All of us are sinners. We fall short of the goal. We don't hit the mark. And so every single one of us comes into this room on that basis. We all miss the mark. We are sinners. And so if there's anybody who should not come into this room or come into a community of people uh, acting like we have it all together, it should be gospel-centered people. That is the basis of the gospel. We need Jesus and God in His grace, God in His love, sent His best, sent His Son to be that Savior. That's the basis of our relationship. And so if there's anybody who should not have to be reminded to let our love be without hypocrisy, it should be us. And yet, it does not take long before you become a church person and figure out the game of coming into a building like this and acting like you have it all together. Going out the door on Sunday morning with your family, yelling at each other, screaming at each other, driving to church, and as you pull into This parking lot with the smoke behind you or the dirt behind you still coming up from your minivan. You turn to your kids and you say, you better put a smile on your face. You better act like everything is good. I'm telling you, you better act like it. And then you come in here with your Sunday best on, smile plastered all over your face, and act as if nothing is wrong. And Jesus says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christian community is not to be like that. Let love be genuine. He goes on. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Gospel-centered community wars against sin. Wars against sin. You, we war against it. We do not put up 
We all come here as sinners, but we don't allow ongoing sin to take place without it being confronted. I, I, I remember whenever I got married, I thought I was a patient man. I thought I had it all together. I mean, I could live by myself with the best of us. I never got in a fight with myself. I was always patient. And then I got married. And my wife was, was um, uh, happy to let me know that I wasn't as patient as I thought I was. I had a blind spot in my life that needed to be warred against. And I've had a few relationships with men over the, over the years that have been like that. They, they, they helped me war against myself. Now, I've never accepted it well. Somebody comes up to me and says, you know what? You're, not, you're probably not as patient as you think. How dare you? That's going to be my response initially. But then I'm going to step back a little bit. And I'm going to go, you know what? They may have a point. And God uses them by his grace, uses them to war against sin. I hope you have somebody like that in your life. We battle against sin. We all have these blind spots. We all have sin that we don't even know about. We need people to point those out in gospel-centered community. I hope you would invite somebody. Give somebody permission to be that person. But, but we don't just war against uh, evil. We don't abhor just what is evil, but we also hold fast to what is good. Here's what that means. That you and I are not just going around trying to find fault in everybody. We're not walking around trying to, to find the devil in every, on everybody's shoulder. And we're not waiting to call fouls on people. We are celebrating what is good. We're celebrating the work that God is doing in individuals' lives. We're celebrating that by rejoicing in what is good. We abhor what is evil. We hold fast to what is good. Love, verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Now, when we read this, it comes across almost as sentimental or even cliché. Like brotherly love. Just love one another. But in the first century when this was written, this was not cliche. This was radical. This was a radical statement. In fact, there was a, a first century Greek philosopher who saw Christianity beginning to expand, beginning to grow. He saw this taking root, and he didn't like it. He, didn't like, he wanted this extinguished. But here is what he said about other believers that he saw uh, in this community as it grew. Here was his observation about Christians. Their founder, that's Jesus, their founder persuades them that they should be like brothers, and I included, and sisters. Their founder persuades them that they should be like brothers and sisters to one another. Therefore, they despise their own privacy and view all their possessions as common property. He recognized how radical this statement is. That we are to be like a family. Like a family. Our, our privacy has its limits. Now, all of us, even in a family, you, have, you, have, you want privacy, you need privacy. But there are limits to that privacy. It, it, it says that we're to love one another with a brotherly and a sisterly aff affection. We are to be like brothers and sisters. Because we are. And we're to act like it. We're to be. Like a family here. Loving one another with a brotherly affection. He goes on. Outdo one another in showing honor. What that means, I put in my notes, what that means is that you go out of your way to demonstrate honor to others. 
whether they deserve it or not, and honestly, most will not. You give it out freely. You treat honor like it's the most renewable resource on the planet. We're to outdo, we're to try to outdo one another in showing honor. And so I honor you, and then you honor me, and then I try to outdo you again by showing you honor, and then you try to outdo me again in showing honor. We try, this is an ongoing relationship, outdoing one another in showing honor to each other. I was in Houston with a few uh, men from, from our, our church a few weeks ago. And, and there was one guy that was on the, on the team, and in the conversation, it came up that they actually give money to their trash man. I thought that's a great example of showing honor. That's a great example. Ah, being, being Christ in our community. You're going to honor people who do something for you. And they never need, even see your face many times. But they, and they, they just try to show honor by giving money to them. I thought that was a great example of this. You, there, were about, uh, there, there were a handful of people, more than that, maybe 30, 35, 40 people in, in the first service. They showed honor to us in this hour, giving us a seat. And in the next hour. That's a way to show honor and taking a time that's not, not quite as easy to get to, but they come early. That's showing honor. They're outdoing us in honor, and then we're going to outdo them in honor by, by worshiping the king. We outdo one another in honor. That's what Christian community looks like. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. These three ideas, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, are, are interwoven. You cannot separate them. Here's why. We rejoice in hope. As believers, we rejoice in hope. Here's what that means. It means that I am rejoicing in the hope of my future in Christ. I have a future in in Christ, in every one of us who knows Christ, who has a relationship with Christ, has a future that's in Christ. That is the hope. We're not, it's not a hope-so-hope. Hope. It's a no-so-hope. Like, I'm hoping for that day. I know that it's coming. And so I, I hope in Christ. My, my faith is in Christ. But every single one of us in here, every one of us, has either gone through loss, pain, and suffering in the past. Some of us are going through loss, pain, and suffering currently. And if you're not in either of those categories, it's coming. On this side of eternity, in this broken world, tribulation, pain, suffering, and loss is coming. But we have hope. We have perseverance. As believers, because we know, based on the authority of Scripture, that this is not all there is. There is coming a day when there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more violence, there will be no more terror attacks, there will be no more cancer, there will be no more funerals. There is coming the day that that will be our reality. And we hope in that. We long in that. We, we place our faith in that reality. And the only way that that happens is to be constant in prayer. In the context of a Christian community. In the context of relationships with other believers. We rejoice in hope. 
We're patient. We persevere in tribulation. We know that it's a reality on this side of eternity. But that is not all that there is. And we're grounded in that through constant prayer. In the context of gospel relationships. That's what gospel-centered community looks like. He, he closes it out this way in verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. I love that. We are to identify the needs of other Christians, specifically those inside of our church, in such a way as to make their needs our own. I really think that Wellspring does this well. Aaron, Aaron Dogot, he on the mission trip this week, but he is in charge. He does most of our benevolence. And regularly, we'll get people that call and ask for help. And we'll help them with little things um, initially, whether they're a part of our church or not. But then, without fail, they will call back after our initial help. They'll call, hey, I need a, a ticket gas. Aaron, Aaron will say, all right, I'll meet you at this gas station. He'll go, he'll put gas in their tank. And then... A couple days later, they will call back. And here's what he always says. I love this. He'll, he'll say, um, I can't do that anymore. What you need to do is you need to go to your local church. If you don't have one, you should come to Wellspring. Our generosity towards you is almost limitless. It's almost limitless. If you call Wellspring your home and you have a need... Our generosity is almost limitless. Let me give you examples. We have paid for medical bills. We've paid off. Um, we've paid. Uh, we haven't paid off a mortgage, but there was a, a family that was months behind. We paid it to get them caught up. We've paid rent for six months for somebody that was in a bad situation. The, uh, we've paid um, uh, for for. Um, what else have we paid for? We paid for electric bills that have been up around $1,000. And it is all because of your generosity. This is what Christian community looks like. We are to contribute to the needs of the saints. In the context of a Christian community, our generosity is almost limitless. And that's the way it's supposed to be. We're to... to See the needs of others as if they are our needs. And we're to be a blessing because we have been blessed by our Creator. Everything that I have is not mine. I am just a steward of it. It all belongs to God. And if He gives it to me as a steward for a time, then I am blessed to be a blessing. I don't hold on to it for my own. I, it does not terminate on me. I, as much as possible, am offering generosity to others who have a need in the context of my Christian community. And this church, because of your generosity, does that. That is to be a hallmark. That's to be a stamp of Christian relationships. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. I love how this ends. Christian community is to be marked by hospitality. Hospitality literally means to pursue the love of strangers. Pursue the love of strangers. <clears throat> that is what we're supposed to do as believers. I was reminded of how important this is just a few weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, we had a, a group of men to our to our house. They're in a, a program. They made some mistakes in their past, but they are, are um, grounded in the gospel, trying to, to get back on track, to, to be able to uh, contribute to society. 
and to see uh, uh, the, the, the uh, Holy Spirit really come in and, and really take root in their heart and in their life. And they're in this year-long program, and we talked to the director, and we said, hey, would, would y'all be interested? Would it be cool if, if they came over to our house one evening and had dinner with us? And they said, no problem at all. So that there were about a dozen men, 10, 12 men, that came over to our house a few Fridays ago. We grilled hot dogs, hamburgers, and had a blast. Played games, had great conversations, learned uh, about their life. I also learned about how good tattoo artists are in prison. I didn't know that, but I learned that. We had a great conversation. At the end of the night, one of the men came to me, and it was in the process of the conversation. He came to me and said, hey, Scott, i got a question for you. I said, shoot, I probably don't know the answer, but I'll give it a try. He said, I desire to be married one day. I desire to have a family. I desire to, to have a marriage that honors the Lord. He said, but here's the problem. I have never been around a married couple before. Not a good marriage, not a bad marriage. I've never been around a, a marriage before. He said, my, my, my parents, they weren't married whenever I was born, and my dad very quickly moved out, and I've never had contact with him. I was raised by my mom. And in, in, in the neighborhood and in the area of, of uh, Oakland that I grew up in, nobody did. Nobody had Married parents in their home. I've never known what a marriage looks like, much less a godly marriage. How am I supposed to do that? How is that? If that's my goal, how is that supposed to happen if I've never seen it in action before? So that's a great question. And I called him by his name. I said, here's what I think you should do. As, as soon as you're able, as soon as you're out of this program, you need to be plugged into a local church. If it's not the church that you're in now, Wellspring, find one. And you need to start building relationships with people, specifically people who are married, if that's what your heart's desire is. And then you need to ask, after you've built the relationship, you need to ask if one night a week you can be a part of their family. Here's what I mean. Right after work, you go straight to their house. And you're going to show up to their house at about the same time as dad is getting home from work and mom, if she works, at the same time that they are. And the kids are going to be coming in, and it's going to be a tornado, and you're going to be a part of it. And then you're going to see dinner get made, and you're going to help make that dinner. And then they're going to sit down at, at the table as a family, and you're going to be a part of that family. And I use Tuesday night. Every Tuesday night, this is going to be your, your routine. And then they're going to hang out, they're going to watch TV, or they're going to play games, and you're going to watch TV, and you're going to play games. And then there's going to become a time that they get ready about 8, 8.30 at night. They're going to start to get the kids ready for bed. And you're going to be a part of that process. You're going to be there when they're praying. You're going to be there when they're telling their kids goodnight and tucking them in. And then after that, you're going to go home. And you're going to do it all again the next week. And some weeks you're going to arrive at the house and they're going to be best of friends. And they're going to be hanging out, and they're going to be talking, and you're going to join in that. And then other weeks you're going to show up, and the husband and the wife are going to be at each other's throats. They're ready to take each other out, and you're going to be part of that too. And you're going to watch that fight uh, unfold, and you're going to see ways to fight fair. You're going to see ways to fight unfair. You're going to be a part of that family. And in doing so, you're going to see what a gospel-centered marriage looks like by God's grace. Now... The only way that that happens, the only way that that man is afforded that opportunity is if you 
and I are hospitable. The only way he has a chance to see what a gospel-centered marriage looks like, or at least one that desires to be, is if he's welcome in your home. Pastor and professor said this regarding hospitality. His name's Alexander Strouch. Hardly anything is more characteristic of Christian love than hospitality. Through the ministry of hospitality, we share the things we value most. Family, home, financial resources, food, privacy, and time. In other words, we share our lives. And you don't have to, if you're not married this morning, that doesn't mean that you get a buy on this. You're as much responsible for hospitality as anybody else. That's just an example. Your home should be open. Your relationship should be open. You should be known. Every single one of us that knows Christ, that claims the name of Jesus, should be known for our hospitality, inviting people, strangers, into our lives. And you say, well, wait, 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 just a minute, Scott. This is a dangerous world out there. To which I respond, I know. We're not asking you to be unwise, but we are asking you to take a chance and be hospitable. Because that's what the Bible says. We are to be known. A benchmark of our relationships is to be hospitality. Now, the way that that happens in our church, you know, is home groups. And over the last five years, we've done some things well, some things not so well. But one of the things that we know for sure is that we have to keep trying. We have to do something to form these relationships. Early on, it happened organically. You kind of invited people, but now that there's three services, um, it's hard to do that. It's hard to take that risk. And so we're trying to make on-ramps to those groups a, a little bit more strategic. Um, we're trying to build systems so that that will happen. And two things that we're going to try here in the near future. The first one is this, a, a class called Starting Point. It's going to happen during the 1045 service starting on April 15th. It's about six weeks. And if you have questions about faith, you have questions about what it means to be a follower of Christ, you have questions about what it means to, to, uh, to, to uh, be gospel-centered, you have questions about what it means to be a Christian, this is the class for you. Uh, we don't do, um, uh, if, you, if you're a church person, you probably know uh, or, or have experienced um, altar calls or invitations at the end. We don't do anything like that, but we do want an opportunity for you to take the next step. If you uh, have questions about having a relationship with Christ, this is a great opportunity for that to happen. Starting point. We also are going to have a new member class. Uh, on April 8th, after our family meeting, uh, we have family meetings. They happen at 5 o'clock, about once a quarter. That's just a business meeting for us at Wellspring. It's a chance to find out what's going on in the life of our church and what's coming. And this one on April 8th is going to be important. Well, right after that, if, you, if you're going, okay, I've visited here. I, I know a little bit about the church. I need to plant my life here. I want to be a part of a community of believers. This is the class for you right after the family meeting. On April 8th, that evening, after our, our meeting at 5 o'clock. It's going to happen. We're gonna, just going to roll right into it, if that's of interest to you. And in both of those settings, we have the opportunity to plug you into home groups. Now, there are two aspects 
of this. Number one is my responsibility and our responsibility as leaders. Number two is your responsibility. Number one, my responsibility is I have to make this a priority. And I have to find people who will lead these, challenge people to be a part of them. And when they fail, we, we, we pick ourselves up and we try it again. Because it's that important. The Bible doesn't give us any wiggle room. We must be a part of communities like this. And so I have to find opportunities for people to, to in, in, in be included into these groups. And that's why we're doing these classes, trying to find an easy on-ramp to be a part of those communities. I also have to find homes and facilitators, leaders. And we need two more homes and two more leaders. If you want to be a part of that, let me know after the service. But the second responsibility is yours. You've got to make it a priority. You've got to make it a priority to be there. You've got to make it a priority to lean into that awkwardness and be a part of those communities. We are to be about gospel-centered community. And it simply will not happen on Sunday morning in rows across three services. It won't happen. Let's pray. Father, Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. And I pray that we would be a part of community like this. Loving what is good, but doing more against what is evil. Having fun in community, but not allowing sin to go unconfronted. <coughs> Father, allow us to be known as a church that tries to outdo one another in hospitality. Tries to do out one another in honor. Tries to be an organism that is being molded a little bit more into your image each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray.